Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, guest speaker Joey Finnell concludes the series, This Is Our God. In this message, Joey looks at temptation and what Paul really meant when he said we should flee from sin. So often, we only look at conviction as something that happens after we sin. But how would things change if it started taking place before? Good morning. I failed to do this in the first service, but I'm not Brandon. You didn't notice. Um, I've got older hair than he does. <laughs> My name is Joey Fennell, and I have a, I'm a licensed counselor here in town with a private practice and was in ministry for a lot of years, um, got saved and got a real job, and uh, so nobody can ever talk about me again. Um, but Brandon asked me to fill in for him today when, as he is out at Emmaus this weekend working that, and um, we talked about doing these two sermons that what he did last week, talking about Hosea and being redeemed and, and God will go after us no matter what we've done or, or where we've been. And so I thought I'd be subtle this morning as to what I'm preaching about. I don't know if anybody follows me there, but yeah. I was staring at that this morning and going, did I spell that right? You know, the longer you look at something, the, but I don't usually read vertically. Um, so it kind of threw me off. If you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's where we're going to spend some time today, talking about temptation, and, and we've heard, you know, hundreds of sermons about temptation, we've read books about it, we think about it, we're, we deal with it, you know, all the time, um, but I want to tie in from, from what Brandon talked about last week, when in the early service last week and on the podcast, there's a, an example that, that Brandon used about when we come to church, it is almost like a spiritual one-night stand. Now, I didn't know if I could get that out of my mouth from a pulpit, but I just did. Because it's such a good example, because we do treat God that way. Come in, try to get a need filled, filled, and then we leave and it's over. We'll try again next week. And temptation keeps us there keeps us stuck there in a place where we want to just get a need filled. But scripture talks about over and over and over about us being aliens. Okay. And aliens, the first thing we usually think of is green, you know, antenna, maybe smelly. I don't know why, but you know, there's been enough movies that we think about, you know, little green monsters, one eye, you know, some weird thing. And the more I think about that, I think that's what God intends for us to look like when we walk out into the world. When we leave these doors and we end up at Zaxby's or at the mall, small, or if we end up somewhere else in our community, on campus, wherever it may be, our actions and our behaviors cause us to stand out. We certainly are not supposed to blend in. Well, This is one of those Sundays where you might want to sit Indian style just to keep your feet off the floor. Um, If you've got open-toed shoes, it's going to hurt, all right? I'm just going in and warning you. And also, this is one of those beginning of the wedding times. Speak now or forever hold your peace. If you came to hear Brandon, he ain't here, all right? And I'm the guest speaker. 
Love it. Say what I want to, and I can just go home after it's over, right? If you got a problem with it, call Brandon. It was his idea. But most of us have secret indulgences, right? We have these secret indulgences, and some of them aren't so secret. But I'm going to speak specifically um, from some of the thoughts of a woman by the name of Kelly Minter. She writes and uh, does some Bible studies, and she has a great Bible study around false gods, idols, stuff that we put in place of God. And I'm going to concentrate on things such as magazines, movies, um, TV shows, cell phones, those types of things. Cell phones are of the devil, if you didn't already know that. The, for me, though, the thoughts go like this. This, is, this looks like a really good movie trailer. I know it's rated R, but that stuff just doesn't affect me. I don't, I don't listen to the cuss words. I can, t- I, can, I can just put that out of my mind because the story's so good. It's got such a good message. Or, you know, listening to some music and, you know, and it's, it's just not that holy, but it's got such a good beat. This kind of makes me want to tap my foot. It's so enjoyable. It's so attractive. And it's something that we really want really, really bad. But if we think about temptation, it's something that really wants us really, really bad. So a lot of times we look at temptation and we get as close as we can, just don't touch it, right? We can get all the way up next to it, but don't touch it. Get as close as you can, but don't touch it. Look at with me to, at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul here is, he's just letting it all hang out. This is the best way to put it. The first, first Timothy, Paul has written to him as this up-and-coming minister. has given him all these encouragements. But 2 Timothy is most likely the last book Paul ever wrote. And he's in prison. He, he knows it's probably the end of his journey. And he's writing to Timothy and saying, all right, hold on to your seatbelt because this is what you're about to face. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses." always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will, will be obvious to all, just as Jannes and Jambres' folly was also. Now you followed my teaching conduct, 
purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's something to wake up to on Sunday morning, isn't it? Paul is just, just letting it go here. And he's talking about all these things. And early on in my ministry, I would read this text and I'd read it with a, kind of a smirk on my face going, get them, Paul. These people are terrible. Go get them. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. They're holding on to these things. And I'm going to avoid people such as these people. Because they're out there waiting on, to devour me up. Because I'm a Christian. And the longer I read it, the more I realize, why is he talking to me? He is talking to me. I am these people. We are these people. This is what we do. Paul is talking about church people. He's talking about Ephesus here. Now, there's a word I want to teach you today that this is talking about. And the word is apostasy. Apostasy. Now, it's a fun word to say because it forms spit on your lips and you can be offensive to people with it. But apostates, it's who we are in so many ways. Here's the definition. Apostates depart from the faith but not from the outward profession of Christianity. Apostates depart from the faith, but not from the outward expression of Christianity. I believe that's us. believe that's us. We claim it, we name it. Oh, boy, we're doing the right thing. We're in church, we're reading our Bible, but, oh, man, we are still doing the same exact things as the world. I think it's the most dangerous thing for Christianity. I think it's the most dangerous thing for us as individuals and for those who we're trying to reach for Christ. Now in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, God here is talking to Adam and Eve. And he's laid down the rules for them. And going to get this text up on the the screen here. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. And verse 17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So God places this nice, beautiful apple tree in the middle of the garden. And it's sitting there just flowing with apples. And he says, now, Adam and Eve, you know, y'all are all good together and all, but don't eat of it. 
or you'll die. What was God thinking? I'm thinking as we have all this history, there's no way they're not going to eat it. He says, you can use it for shade. You can get up close to it. You can climb it. You can do whatever you want to with it, but don't eat from it. And then there's the whole snake thing, okay? So if I'm going up to a tree for shade and a snake pops out, you know, I'm not going to stay there very long, especially if it talks to me. (laughs) So Adam and Eve fall prey to this, and we do some of the same things. Well, let me tell you a little bit about snakes, all right? Just this past week, Wednesday night rolls around, and I'm in my vegetative evening state. Lisa and I are sitting on the sofa, about to watch something Christian, and (laughs) just sitting there, and all of a sudden, my dog starts barking. Amelia is a lab. She's a little over two years old, and she is possessed by the devil (laughs) most of the time. And several evenings, we'll hear her bark, and she'll stop, and, you know, we'll, we'll move on. But this night, she didn't bark. I mean, she didn't stop barking. She keeps on, keeps on. I'm just sitting there going, please stop barking, please stop barking, please stop barking. And then it finally comes. Lisa reaches over and pauses the DVR, which is a wonderful gift from God, I might add. But she pauses the show and says, would you please go hush your dog? Usually when she puts in your dog, you know, I, I go hush my dog. And so I walk outside And I hit the bottom step in the garage, and she's barking, barking, barking. And she's barking at the front of Lisa's car. I'm like, Lee, are you going to eat the car? What's going on here? So I step out, and right when I step out, there I am standing by the four-foot snake that is bowed up, snapping at her, striking. All right, at this point... I have a decision to make that wasn't very difficult because I am a three-year-old child when it comes to snakes. (laughs) I will admit it. I'm not scared to admit it. I am scared to death of snakes. My wife, on the other hand, is about a hundred times more scared of snakes than I am. All right? So I run back in. I call Millie because I didn't want her to, you know, die, and I didn't want to have to go to the vet (laughs) that late at night. It would be expensive. But I call Millie in the house, and Lisa comes up behind me, like, what is going on? I said, take Millie, take Millie. It would have been better if there had been a burglar in our garage, I think, for her. When I said, there's a huge snake under your car. Oh, my goodness. She lost it. And I'm standing out there on the step, and she closes the door behind me. <laughs> so she's safe, and she, it's like, go get it, you know? I'm like, I don't want to get it. If we wait long enough, it'll just leave. And so I I grabbed some boots that were outside, I put them on, I jump up on top of her car and leap to my truck on the other side of the garage. Because, I, you know, a snake can bite you from 84 feet away, and I wasn't going to get close enough to let it happen. So there happens to be this scraper in the back of my truck that wasn't nearly long enough, I might add. It was only about six feet long, and I knew that snake was going to get me from there. So, if you didn't know this, snakes have this ability to, when they get scared, which if I had the same ability, this thing would have been over quickly. When they get scared, they throw up their last meal. All right? 
You know, if we had that same thing, it would have been a mess, okay? <laughs> but I look over here, and the snake is, is kind of backed up in a corner, and this frog comes out of its mouth and is still moving. So it was a very fresh meal. <laughs> and I'm just, just in full panic mode. I got this scraper. I'm standing on my tailgate, and I do what everybody does to a snake they're about to kill. I poke it, you know, just <laughs> do, do this with it. Because I want to get it good and mad before I actually have to kill it. So I, I poke it, and it goes out on the, on the driveway. And I hear Lisa through the closed door now, I might add, go get it. I, I don't want to chase a snake. I mean, he's going back to where he came from. Let him go. Godspeed. Good luck with your life. I got your last meal right here. So snake wanders off a little bit, and she says, don't you have a gun? You know, I'm a pretty good shot, but if I unload a 38 in my driveway at 10:30 at night, it's just not going to be good. Just ting ting, we, you know, there's no way you can hit a snake like that. So I grab the my my poker. I'm going out there trying to get it. I get him corralled in this corner, and I can't get him to stop. He's just just striking at me over and over. And every time he strikes, you know, I'm just by this time my blood pressure is well over the the recommended limit at this point. So. I finally get him. He goes around the steps into another corner of the house, and I get him trapped, all right? And I'm holding him against the bricks, but the scraper's just not sharp enough, okay? And, you know, I'm just lunging there trying to get it to go, and that snake's just, every time I lunge, he's just hissing, and he's terrible, all right? So Lisa finally comes out on the steps, and she says, kill it. I'm trying to kill it. She said, what do you, I said, I need a shovel. Where is it? It's in the shop. I don't want to go to the shop. Oh, somebody's got to go to the shop, and I'm holding the snake. So she goes to the shop, and this is kind of the funny part of the story to me. I've got my light, and I'm shining it for her to go down the driveway towards the shop. Now, the shop has a motion sensor light. So when she gets a bit within about 20 feet of it, she goes to do this <laughs> to get the light to come on. And I was sitting there. That was the only time that I smiled during the, the event that unfolded. So she comes back with pitchfork and shovel. Looked like the beginning of the Green Acres show. <laughs> she says, which one do you want? I said, well, the you know, pitchfork has too many options, so let me have the shovel. I know I can hit it with that. I said, now, Lisa, you're going to have to hold the scraper in order for me to kill the snake unless you want to. No options there, except she says... She gets down and she goes, now if it moves, I'm going to let go. I said, that, that's not an option because if you let go and it bites me, we're going to need marriage counseling. <laughs> or grief because I'm going to die from this huge venomous snake, which I thought at that time. So we finally, for you snake lovers, sorry, it doesn't end well for the snake because um, in my opinion, the best snake's a dead snake and... Finally get it dead, real dead. And, you know, put him in a, in a bag because, you know, I got to find out what kind it is. Turns out to be what is called a banded water snake, all right? A banded water snake now is the worst kind of snake in the world to me. But the definition, non-venomous, extremely aggressive, okay? Duh, I realized that when it almost jumped in my lap several times. But I'm thinking about, 
this this week, and I'm like, God, you know, you knew what I was preaching on. Why, why do you do these things to me? Well, I put a snake in my garage the same week, so I'm not going to be preaching on hippopotamuses or anything next week, but or spiders or anything like that. So when Adam and Eve are really close to this temptation, all I can think about is the snake for me. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that with a snake. I'm not going to get out there and go, yo, what's up? And then carry on a conversation with him about eating an apple. It just doesn't even make sense to us. But it's a great message because how, how God, through all the time of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, I think the rules changed a little bit. From where God just told them, you know, I'm going to give you all this wonderful stuff with this tree, but, but don't eat from it. Use the shade. Use the limbs if you want to to build something, but just don't eat it. Paul changes the story a little bit. So what do we do with this temptation? Are we supposed to get right here next to it as close as we can, but just not touch it? Is that how we're supposed to live our lives? God said to not eat, and Paul says to flee. Now this text is not about becoming a self-righteous separatist that we were supposed to remove ourselves from being inundated with the lies, deceptions, and immorality that's often promoted. We've got to separate ourselves regardless of how funny, how heartwarming, or interesting it can all be. So we're supposed to get right here, but just not touch it, right? Right? 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, two definitions of this that writers have fussed about for years and centuries. One is that if we claim the power of Christ and we claim this godliness, we deny its power. We deny the power of God. The second definition, and the one I prefer here, is that we take on this godliness and we claim this Christ-like life, but we still partake in things that we don't think have power over us. It goes back to the whole thing of, it doesn't affect me. I don't pay attention to the cuss words in it. I don't pay attention to that brief nudity in the movie. There's no such thing as brief nudity. It's almost, but it's about like, almost pregnant. It's just not really there. I mean, you are or you aren't. It's naked or it's not. So we get right up next to it, but we don't touch it. Remember apostasy. Depart from faith, not from the outward expression of Christianity. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. This is the definition of apostasy that Paul gives us. 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, if we back up into the text, you'll remember the names Jannies and Jambres. Now, these are two cats who are magicians in the Old Testament. And when Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh, and they're asking God, how are we going to convince this guy to let our people go? 
He says, I want you to go in front of Pharaoh, and when he asks you to perform a miracle, throw down your staffs, and they will become serpents. It's a pretty cool story. Well, they do this. They go in there, they chunk down the old staff, and it's a serpent. Again, I'm out of there. I don't know about you. The stick just became a snake. I'm gone. Well, Janus and Jambres do the same thing. Now, there are these sorcerers, these magicians. They throw down their staffs, and they also become serpents. What's the point of that? Did they have some special power we didn't know about? Well, theory has it that there was a, something called a stiff snake, and the way it became uh, defensive to things, it would stiffen its body to look like a stick. And these were the types of staffs that these sorcerers used. So when they threw them down, they would react by loosening their body and trying to escape. It's a pretty cool thing. Except this foreshadowing effect. Aaron and Moses throw theirs down. Sorcerers throw theirs down. What does Aaron's do? Eats theirs. That's pretty cool. Swallows it up. A little foreshadowing to swallowing up of what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed his life and was raised from the dead. He swallows up death. He swallows up the lies that we are taught, the lies that we believe in. So Paul says to flee from it. Something changed. Something changed from Adam and Eve to Paul. No more of this just don't eat it stuff. Paul gets a little more black and white, a little serious, I might add, because four times in Paul's letters, two times to the church of Corinth and Corinthians, and two times to Timothy, he says to flee. To flee. What, what does flee mean? It means that we get right here, as close as we can, but we don't touch it, right? We get in the back seat of a car or in our apartments and we go just far enough with our girlfriend or boyfriend, but not all the way, right? We go to the movies and, and we watch something that's probably not holy, but it's just not going to affect us. I'll pray afterwards to kind of cleanse the F-bombs that I heard, right? Or, you know, I'm on the internet and I'm surfing a little bit and do I click it or... I'm just going to look for a minute. It's no big deal. I'll just look for a minute, and then I'll just move on. That's what he's saying. That's what flee means, right? Just to flee means to just get as close as you can, but just don't touch it. Let me tell you what flee means. What he's talking about here is he says, get right up next to it, right next to it. He says, flee. He says, get out of there. Get away from it as fast as you can. I'm going to throw up. Ugh. I knew I should have iced after the first service. He says, get away from it as fast as you can. Don't get close to it. Get away from it. Some of you are dozing off. Get away from it. It's tempting for a reason. It's tempting because they want you to buy it. It's tempting because they want you to eat it. It's tempting because they want you to watch it. But God says, flee from it. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Don't drink it. Don't take part in it. Get away from it. 
I'll catch my breath by the end of this. Story somebody told me in between services. Some of you may have heard it at, at FCA. I had not heard this story before. Um, Tim Tebow's in a radio shack. And, you know, Tim Tebow, ooh, big, huge guy. He's in there, and this girl comes up to him and says, can I get a picture with you? Tim's like, sure, whatever. So this girl's mom is with her, holding the camera. Tim's up here. This is all around her, posing a little bit. And the mother says, one, two, and when she gets to three, this girl lifts her shirt up. What is so amazing about this story is when they go to look at the picture, no Tim Tebow. As soon as she reached for her shirt, he darted out of the store. He fleed. He sensed it. He was in the right place at the right time, spiritually. He knew what was going on, and he got out of there. Not sure what the girl was thinking. You know, free batteries, new TV. Not sure why you lift your shirt in Radio Shack, but <laughs> seems like an odd thing. But I wouldn't recommend it. People do go to prison for those things. The prayer that Jesus teaches us is the, the official, you know, right before a game, all teams officially have to do the Lord's Prayer. And I discovered that through years playing ball and working with a Statesboro High football team. I always do the Lord's Prayer. You know, one of the first games I was there and did a devotion for them, and then afterwards they get turn all the, light, all the lights off, they hug a bunch of smelly boys, and they start this Lord's Prayer, and it goes like this. Uh, and I was like, what are they doing? I thought it was like a new charismatic thing. They were speaking in tongues before the game. I was like, somebody's about to get saved before they get hit before this game. But when I get to that part of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Even Jesus was saying, Daddy, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't even go there. Deliver us from the things that are evil. Don't get near it. Don't touch it. Have you ever heard someone say they were convicted about something? Oh, this is the part when I was studying this week that I didn't like. I didn't like it at all because I've said these things. You've said these things. It's usually used in the context of someone saying they were convicted to not do something anymore. Right? Something like, I really wish this hadn't happened, but the Lord convicted me that I shouldn't watch this show anymore. Darn, I wish I hadn't heard that. He really convicted me of this. And, ah, oh, man, I wish I hadn't even been there that Sunday. What I'm realizing is that true conviction doesn't look for a loophole. It doesn't hurt. It isn't a bad thing. But so many times we look at conviction as, oh, man, it was, I almost made it through the whole service. But now he got me right there at the end. I, I feel convicted now. Pooey. What is that about? 
It's apostasy. It is true apostasy. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to name it. I'm going to worship you, God, but you leave me alone with that. I like Grey's Anatomy way too much to be convicted by it. Well, the writers of Grey's Anatomy is they went to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and they said, let's, re, let's do a show around all this stuff. That'd be good. Sorry to convict you. But take any other show and there you have it. They're all there. All those things are in the things that we watch. They're sprinkled throughout. It's just little things that we're like, ooh, man, ooh, they probably ought not do that. Man, that show is funny. It's such a good story. But we get caught up in there and we don't even realize it. I take my kids to school in the mornings. My six-year-old son is a true fan of Starstruck. Can I get a show of hands of anybody who knows what Starstruck is? All right, don't be embarrassed, guys. Sterling Knight can bring it. He can sing it with the best of them, can he? Well, my six-year-old, it's Disney for all you who are saved. It's a Disney thing, and you might be boycotting it. But um, great Disney movie, Starstruck. Sterling Knight's this you know, star, and everybody loves him and all this stuff. But pretty catchy tunes, okay? So we're on the way to school, and Jordan's back there just singing his heart out. Just got the remote, and he's just turning it up. I got a remote control in my truck. It's pretty cool because it's so far away. I have to use that. And um, what is the deal with that? But so he's got it cranked up, and we're singing all the way to the school, and I dropped them off. And I usually get about halfway to my office and realize I'm still singing this music. You know, I'm like, starstruck. Whoa, let's turn on, like wrestling's on the radio. I'm going to turn that on and toughen up a little bit. But sometimes we get caught up in things we don't even realize it. We've been sucked into the group, and, and everybody's there telling this story, and it's a funny, funny thing, and it's a hilarious joke, and it demeans women, and we're like, oh, whoa, man, that was bad. And it just hits us, and we're there, and we're caught. And it's all over with. Temptation is everywhere. The only way we could probably avoid it is to freeze ourselves. There's no way to avoid it. Instead of looking at conviction, though, as parting with something we enjoy, I think this is the key. We must look at that thing as something that was taking the place of God. Something that was stealing from us. And when we look at these things that we enjoy, that we love, and man, I just, I don't about giving that up. God, give me two hours, I'll be right back. I know you're not going to be in the theaters tonight, but just give me a little bit of time. I'll, I'll pray, and we'll be, you know, we'll be back cozy again. But that's where we get stuck. If I give this up, then what? Usually, when we flee from something, we end up fleeing to the next temptation. Instead, if we flee and we run to the cross, then we replace it with something God wants us to do. So, as we look at this, I think the key to this is we give something up that we know is not holy and we replace it with the presence of God. 
And my wife convicted me this week with this. When she hands, she goes, why don't you read this? I'm like, ah, oh. just like the snake. You know, God, why are you putting this stuff in front of me? Just let me preach and go home. Ooh. No, I got to listen too. Then when it said this, that maybe if you weren't watching TV, you could be spending your time with your wife. Maybe if you stopped spending so much time with the, the iPod in your ears, you could be loving on your kids. Maybe if you stopped doing this, you could spend time in my word and worship me. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I love my TV so much. There's nothing to sit and watch. I mean, something that's not even bad like a race or a good, clean football game. But it's so tempting to do that instead of what God wants us to do. I read something this morning that from a guy by the name of Ken Smith. He was the uh, chaplain for Florida State when they used to win. And um, they, really good guy. He was chaplain there, and then he was chaplain at South Carolina. Now they do win again. And um, sorry, Georgia fans. I'm one, too. Just a little morning problem today. But Ken said on his Facebook page this morning, I got it and was looking at it, and he said something about if we were as passionate about our faith as we are about cheering for a football team or cheering for a, anything, if we had just half the passion about that as we do in our faith with Christ, we could change the world immediately. So flee from it. See what God will do in this newly created space. This is our God. This is the God who loves us so much that he gives us the power over these things. Unfortunately, God doesn't come in and say, oh, you're getting close to temptation. Let me wipe it away for you. Oh, I wish he would. That'd be so much easier. God, I need a hand with this. I'm going to buy a ticket to this movie. You know, kill the clerk. I, you know, I don't know what he could do. Just burn it down. Do something. I need some intervention here, God. I, oh, man, I messed up again. I turn on the computer. I'm starting to surf a little bit. God, blow up my computer or do something. You know, he doesn't do that. But he says, if you trust me, I will give you power over these things. This is our God, the God of power and the God who says, I got your back, but you got to make the right decisions. And the more we're tempted, the further we go away from God. When we flee from it and run to the cross, he gives us power over it. God gives us the power over these things, but we got to make the choices. As the band comes back up to play our last song, I want you to think about this morning what, what God had in mind for you today. I realize what he had in mind for me when I preached this already this morning. And I realized that there are a lot of things that I've got to deal with personally. There are a lot of habits. There are a lot of indulgences that you're not going to send me to hell, but they certainly aren't doing good for me when it comes to my relationship with God or my relationship with my wife or my relationship with my kids.
and how much more effective I could be with those things out of my life. So as the band plays, I want you to think about that this morning. What, where is God speaking to you? What, you know, which toe have I mashed this morning? When you look into your own life and go, okay, I know, I know, I know, but why not leave that here today rather than turning around and leaving God here? It's so much easier to just procrastinate it and say, God, I I know I need to deal with this, but I need to go to lunch. So do you want to really get serious with God instead of worrying about where you're going to eat or what you're going to do later today? Say, this is the time. This is the time that I want to meet this God face to face and say, God, this is finally yours. I'm going to leave it here at this altar. I'm going to leave it my seat, but I'm taking you with me today. God, we pray that you will plunder around in our hearts this day. We pray, God, that you'll break us where we need to be broken, mend us where we need to be mended, work in our lives, God, so that we don't just excuse or justify the things that we do. God, you are a God of grace and a God of mercy, and we thank you for that because we will mess it up just about every time. Help us to stop justifying things. Help us to hear your heart and your spirit when it meets ours and change our spirits to look like yours. Maybe you want to make this place an altar for you for the next few minutes or right where you are. But I don't think that we can truly be real with God unless we're real with ourselves and real with others. Find somebody to help hold you accountable. Allow them, give them permission to speak into your life and say, I've turned this over to God, but I still need some help with it. There's not a soul in here who is dealing with something that somebody else is not dealing with. Help yourself be helped. Come as God speaks to you today.